Nomine Patris et Filii Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu, mediarbus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunca den hora mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, laudate Jesus Christus. This is Timothy S. Flanders with the Meaning of Catholic. Today we're going to start a new series, and it's going to have a little bit different format from what we've been doing, but this series is going to be on the Holy Scriptures. It's going to be based on my book, The Introduction to the Holy Bible for Traditional Catholics. And so this is going to follow in series some of the basic points that are important to understand about the Holy Scriptures which are fundamental to our understanding as Catholics that we need to convert others, to grow in our own faith, and to properly receive this great gift that God has given us. And I want to thank all of the patrons. Um, if you have benefited from this apostolate, please consider being a patron. Uh, patrons get the intro book as well as Kennedy Hall's book, Terror of Demons, for free either electronically or print copy. We're also doing patron-only live broadcasts. We're doing one this Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So that's a time just for patrons and uh, myself and some others, God willing, to just talk about whatever you'd like to. And so it's kind of an open, informal thing. So we do those as well. So you'd get a, to be a part of that as well. So if you can... Uh, support us in any way. We always appreciate that. That helps us. So take a look at the links below if you'd like to become a patron. Patreon.com slash Meaning of Catholic. So um, first I want to talk quickly about... Um, so these these shows are going to be uh, a lot quicker. Try to keep it 30 minutes or less on, on these. But these will follow in succession on different important principles and points about the Holy Scriptures and then we'll talk about more about the text as well. And today's show, we're going to talk about oral tradition. But uh, God, and also God willing, we'll do this every week. Um, so I'm hoping to continue this every single week. Um, but first, the the term Holy Bible, that I'm going to be using the term Holy Bible as opposed to simply Bible and sacred scriptures. And the reason for that is that Due to Protestantism, there has been a great degrading of the reverence due to the Holy Scriptures and also due to modernism. And so the term we are using is Holy Bible. So that's the reason for that term. So let's talk about oral tradition. Uh, oral tradition is one of the fundamental historical aspects that we need to understand about the Holy Scriptures, because the Holy Scriptures is a written text that was created within an oral culture. And fundamental to that is the oral tradition, both within the is the community of Israel as well as the communities elsewhere outside of Israel. So where does this come from? Well, oral tradition, I assert that oral tradition is fundamental to the very nature of God. Genesis 1:1, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. The earth was void and empty, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved over the waters. And God said, be light made, and light was made. So God is speaking in the very beginning of creation, and we have even pre-creation, we have John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was with God and the word was God. So we have the two, the mention of the blessed Trinity in these two texts, we have the father, the son, and the Holy ghost. Now, when St. John says word, he says the word logos logos does not only mean word. It also means reason, hierarchy, order, argument, rationality. There's a, a lot of meaning to that. But in particular, it means we can kind of boil it down into rational communication. The difference between a word and a noise is that it is a rational communication. It's something that is communicating something that is rational. So animals produce noises, but they don't produce words. And so when John says in, in the beginning was the word, he's saying something about the communication of God in himself, God communicating to himself. St. Thomas talks about God thinking himself. And so then we also, in, we have in Genesis as well, is we have the spirit. And the word spirit means both breath and spirit. It can also mean wind. And so some fathers speak of the Trinity in that God speaking the word, the word is the rational communication. And then the breath is what is necessary to carry the word from the mouth of God. And so we have these two things. We have a rational communication, the word, and we also have the spirit, the breath, which actually carries the word to be communicated. And so what I'm asserting here is that oral communication is very, is absolutely fundamental to the nature of God and the nature of man. So the image of God is created straight into him, this, this oral communication. And that is communicating the word and using one's breath. And so it's, it, and using one's breath indicates that it's something external to you. It's something that is connecting you with another individual. It's not simply an internal word where you are sharing it with only with yourself, but you're using your breath to externalize that. And so this very concept of oral communication is absolutely fundamental. And so we have the whole nature of man's communication and his culture and his tradition, whether in Israel or elsewhere, we can just go straight back to Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, are they are communicating orally and this this may seem this may seem obvious but it's not they're not writing down things they're not writing things down we live in a literary culture and the literary culture is a very different world than the oral culture and this is what we're going to try to get get into and that's what's so fundamental about understanding the holy scriptures is that we need to take ourselves out of this literary culture and we need to put ourselves into the oral culture in order to understand the text. So this is, this is extremely fundamental. So one of the aspects of oral culture, before besides what we, we've talked about, is that in an oral culture where people cannot read or write, it's similar to what happens when someone is born blind. They develop a very keen sense of hearing. So they have a their sense perception becomes extremely acute to kind of compensate for something they lack. Now, in an oral communication, I'm asserting that that's actually the most natural communication. That's the very fundamental aspect of God that we are created in. And one thing that's very important to note is that before literacy, before many people were reading and writing, people heard and remembered 
much more easily than we do today. So today we need to write everything down. We need to put reminders in our phones. We can't remember anything for more than five minutes. But in oral cultures, people remembered things. They could hear them just once and then remember them. Here's a quote that I put bring out in the book. And this is from David Rubin, his book from Oxford University, The Cognitive Psychology of Epic Ballads and Counting Out Rhymes. Page three, he says, quote, Songs, stories, and poems are kept safe in stable form for centuries without the use of writing, whereas the literate observer has trouble remembering what happened yesterday without notes. This is one of the fundamental aspects that we're going to get into, especially when we talk about the New Testament and the, and the Christian controversies, because this is fundamental. People understood things and they remembered them. And they not only remembered them, they transmitted them over centuries. So the most obvious thing, so the, the most obvious that we just wrote, read from the book of Genesis. Now, the, the, the latest dating of Genesis is, is Moses writing Genesis. But Genesis goes back to the beginning of the world. And so the book of Genesis is this centuries and centuries of oral tradition that's been passed down, that's being written down by Moses. Now, we'll talk about how early later scholars assert that Moses did not write the Pentateuch or, or Genesis, and we'll talk about that later. But even if we assume that Moses did write it, we're still going to have to assume that there was a centuries-old oral tradition that was preserved and remembered and then written down at that point. So what we're going to see is that the Holy Scriptures are really the earliest record of a written-down oral tradition. The, the Scriptures, to a lar very large extent, existed in oral form before the written form. And this is something that very much affects things because obviously Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. It forms the whole foundation of the Pentateuch, which then Moses does write down as a written text for the last four books. So we'll talk about that. So here's another example. So, you know, people today, they have this, as, they have this idea in literary culture. They think that people in an oral culture that don't, don't read or write, they think they're just less intelligent. They think they're stupid, but that's just, that's just kind of irrational to assert this because they're still human beings. It's not that we evolved into some other species between the printing press and now and before that. People within an oral culture are just as intelligent, but just like with a blind person hearing better, they have more acute memory, more acute uh, learning ability. Um, one of the chat members points out the early Gregorian chant. That's the, that's a very important point. We're going to talk about music and how that has affected things. The Gregorian chant was not written down until the 900s, uh, uh, thousands, and, and that turn of turn of the uh, the millennium. And so these melodies were passed down. Um, the so here's another example of that. Um, oh, what one point people usually denigrate culture uh, oral culture because they say. Well, have you ever played the game of telephone where somebody says one thing and then you try to pass it down? Well, that's that's telephone in our literary culture where people can't hear and remember things. But we've already established that people can't hear and remember things in our literary culture because everybody writes things down and, and relies on reading. But in oral culture, that would not be the case. People would remember things. They would say them and they would remember them. And there's a special process for that saying and remembering cold culture. And we'll talk about that 
in the next show, God willing. But um, here's another story. Um, the when I was in college, my professor told me a story of the Carthaginian War when there were Roman soldiers in Carthage and they were held captive. And the Carthaginians really loved Roman theater. And so they said, what's playing at the Roman theater these days? And then the soldiers were able to recite an entire Roman tragedy. Roman charity, we're talking about like a, basically a Shakespeare play, but it's a Greek drama. So they were able to recite lines for the drama for memory. And they just heard it once. And that's the type of culture that people lived in. They were able to hear things, listen to them, remember them, and repeat them more accurately than we can. Here's another quote from another scholar that I bring out in my book. This is from um, John Miles Foley from Signs of Orat, his book. Quote, we are becoming ever more, and this is this is a quote from 1999, by the way. He says, quote, we are becoming ever more aware of how indebted many of our most cherished literary works are to pre-literate, i.e. oral tradition media. The Judeo-Christian Bible reveals its oral traditional roots. Medieval Christian European manuscripts are penned by performing scribes. Geometric vases from archaic Greece mirror Homer's oral style. Indeed, if these final decades of the millennium have taught us anything, it must be that oral tradition never was the other we accuse it of being. It never was the primitive preliminary technology of communication we thought it to be. Rather, if the whole truth is told, oral tradition stands out as the single most dominant communicative technology of our species as both a historical fact and in many areas today, a contemporary reality. So this is very important. The, this is something that undergirds the oral culture, it, the, this oral tradition. It, it undergirds these, these different these different traditions. So for one thing, we have um, the bard who recited epic poetry. So here's a copy of Homer's Iliad. So here is the book. And this type of thing was memory by a poet, Homer, get the whole thing from memory. So the, now these were the, the elites. Now this, this goes into the use of, so the, this is an example of epic poetry. I'm going to recite the, the um, uh, looks like my connection's off, huh? Okay. Please comment if you are not, if it's not coming through for you. I got three people saying this is breaking up for them. So we might have to close down shop and try again another day. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what happened here. Let me know, comment if, if it's not going through for you. We'll pause for a second. Okay, now it's better. Okay, we're, we're just going to press on through. I'll go back and review it if you have any questions. Um, I don't know if that was just a lag time in my internet or not. Sorry about that. But here's, here's the first line of Homer's Odyssey in Greek. And this is in a particular meter called dactylic hexameter. This is a particular meter. It's a rhythm by which Homer and epic bards were able to remember and recite. So it goes like this. 
Andra moi ennepe musa polu tropon hos malapola. So that's the rhythm of this epic poem. And so this is the rhythm that's that's followed throughout this long epic poem all the way to the end. And so the use of music and rhythm helps us remember the uh, what the words are. And we can experience this today with, with popular music, things that get in our head. And, and so we can, we can see how we can also, even though we're literary, we can still experience this with music and with the way that we can memorize things quite easily when we, when we put them to music. So that's another aspect of that. Um, another aspect of oral culture is that it's not as much the possession of the elites because in an oral culture, you tell a folk tale around a campfire and everybody hears it. And everybody remembers it. And everybody retells it. Whereas writing for centuries was really the possession of the elites. People who could read and write were the elite. And so something that is passed down together in an oral culture is something that is much more widely dispersed. And we'll talk about why that was um, something that could be transmitted accurately as well. Another aspect of it that we touched on in the beginning is that it necessitates community. It's not something that I am writing down individually. I'm writing a book, which is just me and my book. And then I may send it to someone else. And that person may experience the book and the words in that book by themselves. We don't even have to have a human contact. Whereas an oral culture, the word and the spirit, the word and the breath necessitates externalizing the word so that it necessitates contact with another human being. You have to be present with two pe people in order to have an oral oral tradition, oral, oral contact. And as, as our Lord says, he, when there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. And that is so, so that is something that is only possible through oral communication. Oral communication is impossible without being present with at least one other person. So the very definition of oral com communication is bound up in the Trinity, bound up in the nature of man as a communal person. So uh, one last point I want to make, and that is the transmission of oral culture accurately. This is a quote that I reference in my book, uh, once again, the uh, introduction to the Holy Bible for traditional Catholics. This is an article that I that I just cite in in the beginning here um, by Dwayne Hamaker, finding meteorite impacts in Aboriginal oral tradition. This is from theconversation.com. So this is a quote from his article. They talk about there was a there was a meteorite that hit Australia 4,700 years ago, and the oral tradition says that th there had an Aboriginal with them and they were investigating the site and the, the aboriginal said no we can't go there because well why and the aboriginal said a fire devil ran down from the sun and set the land ablaze killing people and forming the giant holes and so they, they've looked in this further and they find that there's all these oral traditions that accurately record all these instances that we can actually verify through different archaeological studies so the the article goes on Recent studies show that Aboriginal traditions accurately record sea level changes over the past 10,000 years. Other studies suggest the volcanic eruptions that formed the Ecom, Iramo, and Bahrain crater lakes in northern Queensland more than 10,000 years ago are recorded in oral tradition. In addition to demonstrating the longevity of indigenous, indigenous oral traditions, emerging research shows that these stories can lead to new scientific discoveries. Aboriginal stories 
about objects from the, from the sky have led scientists to meteorite finds they would not have known otherwise. Then, so, so you can see, and this is just one example, you can see that, that these oral traditions are being kept and they're being preserved. And so we're, they're remembering locations, dates, descriptions of what happened and all sorts of things. And so this is, this is the oral culture. This is really the dominant culture. This is what normal human life is like before the printing press. And that's what normal human life is like in the world of the Bible. So I'm going to take a few questions. If you guys have any, we're going to try to like keep it, like I said, uh, around 30 minutes long. So the um, we'll get into that in just a second. So send me any questions in the chat. Um, one objection that one might have is, well, what about the stories of Zeus and Thor and all these obvious myths? Well, there's many different aspects to myth. Um, one, like we talked, like this Aboriginal story just said, they talked about a fire devil coming down from the sky. So what he's doing is he's using his religion as it exists to describe what he sees. He sees something coming down this from the sky. They saw a meteorite coming down from the sky and they called it a fire devil. So that's not really a myth. They're not really making that up. It's not something that they lied about. They're simply placing what they can perceive and what they can understand onto what they, what they see with their senses. So they can see something and they're, they're identifying it as a fire devil. But if it's a rock from outer space, they're not lying about that, if that makes sense. Um, another aspect of that is that some of these things are created by demons. And so some of the pagan rites and myths are actually sort of true stories of demons doing things. So demons coming down and asking for um, the human sacrifice. We just talked about this with the Spanish uh, era show on Monday with uh, Quetzalcoatl, the Aztec gods. You know, these mythologies developed after demons were actually interacting with the culture. And so that's one aspect of it as well. Um, another aspect can be the corruption of generations. And we'll talk about the aspect of culture and generations and what the what that means in the next show. Um, because there can be famines, plagues, earthquakes, things that displace people, things that um, basically disrupt the priesthood of a given culture that may disrupt the elders or different offices that help to keep the culture or the oral tradition intact. And so there's, there's different aspects that can happen to displace that and to break the cycle of, of, of cultural tradition. So that can sometimes also be an effect there. So um, I'm not asserting that cultural tradition is always accurate, that there's not, there cannot be corruptions. There can be corruptions in written tradition and there can be corruptions in oral tradition. And there's different aspects. The um, there's different aspects to that as well. Um, here's a, a question. Um, why didn't you say that the Genesis stories survive in other cultures to the same detail as you see in the Holy Bible using oral tradition? Um, if I understand your your question correctly, um, the other aspect of that, yes, is that there is a sacred oral tradition because that is really what's contained in Genesis because we believe that Genesis contains the truth of history. It's, it's asserting something true about what actually happened. Whereas these other oral traditions, I would still assert that they are largely accurate. I think that there are different things that get crept in through the influence of demons or different uh, mythology that creeps in because of a false perception of what 
their cosmology is if if they have a false religion of some kind but only the sacred tradition that's contained in genesis is really inerrant that has been truly guided as an oral tradition for centuries and so that is i if i understand you correctly there your question about that um there is that other distinction because god does not preserve other oral traditions in the same way even though just on a natural level they can be preserved in a pre-literate culture so those are the main points that you need to understand about cultural, uh, the oral culture. Uh, first, it is the very essence of God to communicate with a word and a breath because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The very aspect, the very nature of God shows this oral communication, this oral speaking. And so that is set straight into the fundamental aspect of man. So he is oral. He is, that is how he communicates. He's communal. And that is the um, aspect of that. So here's a, some other questions. Let me get to. Is there a practical way to utilize this oral method of retaining knowledge in the modern day, or is this shift to written retention knowledge, a one-way trip? It's difficult. I, I have really tried, and this is another aspect of it that we'll get into, and that, that is that the liturgy is also orally based. And so there is a difficulty. We, I mean, we developed, we developed uh, missiles in the past 200 years, which was not the way that our fathers offered the liturgy. And so I think it is extremely difficult to develop it, but it's not impossible. Definitely not because there are anthropologists who train themselves to have this skill and they will go into the field and they will be working in the field with a uh, given culture. And then they will come home at the end of the night and then they'll transcribe everything that was said that day. So they will, they will develop the skill. And this is something that also still exists today. So you can go to oral cultures that are still in existence that are pre-literate. And so I don't, it's not per se a one-way trip, but it's very, it's just extremely difficult to really extradite yourself from it and to really learn it as a skill. Uh, but it's not impossible, definitely. Um, and this is uh, two people are talking about the universal flood account. Um, I'm, I have not studied this in detail, but everything I've ever heard from anyone says that the universal flood story really is, is everywhere throughout these oral traditions in all sorts of different cultures across the globe. And so that would indicate, so if, if, if you take these historical assertions I'm, I'm saying, if you take them seriously and you think that this is correct, if you say that oral tradition is not just simply making up something and people just mythologizing everything and just sort of making up everything, but it's a, it's a common possession of the community and the community is oral and they remember things. If you understand that, and that's, and by the way, like I said, you can go to the certain pre-literate cultures today and you can observe this for real. And so it's not, I'm not asserting something that's just a speculation either. And so the fact that there are these flood stories throughout the globe is very strong evidence that there in fact was a flood across the whole globe. And so it's, when we have a, this literary culture and we'll talk about the, the world we live in, the biases that we have, we think that, like I said, we think, we think that oral P oral cultures are basically stupid. They're, they're less intelligent, you know, and they just kind of believe all these fables, but that's not the whole story. So that's an important aspect of it. 
Um, any more questions from anybody? We're just going to wrap up. Um, did thoughts come before language? Um, it's difficult to answer that. I guess I would, I would start with God and the, with the Holy scriptures say that in the beginning was the word and word was with God before the creation of the world. And there's the father, son, and the Holy spirit. And so there is an aspect where language and thought precedes even creation itself. But in terms of the distinction between thoughts and language, um, that is a difficult philosophical question because I don't, I don't see how you can think without language, because even if you're thinking internally, you would be saying something to yourself, basically. So um, that's a difficult question. I, I, I can recommend E. Michael Jones' Logos Rising, and this is something that he talks about this concept of logos and how speech is in particular the... I mean, it's really the mark of of men. It's the mark of the image of God as opposed to the animals. It's not a noise. It's rational communication. So those are some of the aspects of it. So we're going to talk about this in the in the coming days, the coming weeks. Uh, oral tradition. Um, so we talked a little bit about today the oral concept, and then next time we're going to talk about oral culture. What is culture, and what are the mechanisms that exist in a culture? to transmit that oral teaching, oral understanding. And how, what, does it have to, what does it have to do with the Bible? And we'll talk about this with the Holy Scriptures. And the Holy Scriptures are filled with references to oral tradition and references to these aspects of culture, which we'll get into. So again, my book, Introduction to the Holy Bible for Traditional Catholics, you can buy that on Amazon and patrons get it for free. And so uh, please support us on Patreon. Uh, but for now, uh, send me any questions you can, and we'll try to get to those. Uh, next show will be next week, God willing, and we'll continue with this series on the Holy Scriptures. Let's pray. In nomine Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, quies in Celi, Sanctificetur Nomen Tuum, Adveniat Regnum Tuum, Fia Voluntas Tua, Sicut in Celo et in Terra, Panem Nostrum Quoterianum, Danubis Odiae, Dimeta Nobis Debita Nostra, Sicut de Nos Dimitimus Debitoribus Nostris. Et nenos inducas in tentationem te libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii Spiritus Sancti. Amen.